Good morning. Powerful lyrics there. Give me faith to trust what you say because you are good and your love is great. Uh, awesome words to jump into today's message as we continue in the book of Genesis and uh, our series Gospel According to Genesis. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you can be with us, especially if you're visiting. Uh, we're happy you're here this beautiful summer day. Um, have you, have you ever been in a circumstance that you felt like you had a pretty good idea of where you are, what was going on, only to find out that things were deteriorating around you? Uh, I think possibly we've been there, possibly at a, uh, a fam- maybe a Thanksgiving. Man, I don't know, that sounds like that could happen easily. I didn't think about that before. But anyway, uh, my family and I, years ago, we'd first moved to, to Oregon. We hadn't been here long, and we went and visited Crater Lake. And after being at Crater Lake, we were driving home, and we'd never driven up the coast. So at I-5, we decided to cut over and go to Gold Beach and then drive up 101 that direction. And so we're on the highway and, uh, and driving down the highway as we're cutting through kind of the, the mountains there, or the hills, as us Coloradans call what we have here in Oregon. Um, but as we were driving through, there was road construction. So one spot road construction, there's a detour sign. I remember it to this day and trying to get or diamond sign and said detour left. And so we took a left up this road. And so we're off of the highway, but we're on a two-lane paved road. And it starts to climb a little bit, weave a little bit, and it turns into a one-lane paved road. And uh, it continues to climb and weave, and it turns into a one-lane dirt road. And uh, then after a little bit longer, it turned into a one-lane kind of a rock road, which we're from Colorado. It's kind of what we do. The only problem was we were in our Chevy Lumina. Um, so as we look and we're driving up this road, I see what is on uh, the, the tree and a sign of sorts. It was actually a paper plate with a number on it, three, like stapled to a tree. And so we're like, okay, there's a paper plate with a number three on it. That's weird. We kept driving, and then there was a number four on a paper plate. We're like, okay, mile markers. All right, I got it. Here, okay, there's some order to this. Five, six, as we continue to travel up this road, and it was like some comfort to know that there was design to, to it. But then we were like, six, six of what? You know, six out of eight, six of 137, what are we dealing with here? And this road just kept deteriorating and deteriorating. By now, we're up on top of the mountainsides, and we're driving in and out of these mountains, but we're pretty level up high. There's a decent drop-off, not too bad, but you kind of know, in a, as I, I look in my mirror, and we're deciding what we're going to do, do we turn around? Our kids are pretty small at this point in time. Uh, Brooklyn's probably three, Ben five, six, uh, somewhere around there, and uh, Do we turn around? Do we go back? What do we do? We haven't passed a car, which is kind of a good thing because I'm not quite sure how we would pass them. We'd have to find a spot or back up to it in order to pass a car. And as I look in my mirror uh, behind us, there is, again, on this, you can kind of see, you know, as the road curves in and out of mountains, you can see the end, the outside of the road, and we see this guy in an RV. And I was like, well, at least we're not that guy. Um, (laughs) which probably isn't the most Christian thing to think or say, um, but that's what I thought. And it was kind of like, well, there's no turning around now. 
We're not going to get past him. And so we kept going and it started traveling down, which was good. Began to be paved again, except there was like blackberry bushes overgrowing half of the road and pieces of the road had fallen off. And it was somewhat terrifying, if I'm going to be honest with you. And I was like, well, eventually we have to hit the ocean, right? You know, I mean, that could be 100 miles from now, but eventually, if this thing keeps going this way, and we came out not too far, I think we ended up on it for like 40 very long, slow miles and ended on a highway. And then we were able to turn, and I didn't see anything on the news that that guy didn't make it or that he toppled offside, so good for him. He was probably praying like we were. But I wonder how often we are in circumstances like that, that we think we know what to expect and we have a good understanding of our surroundings only to find that they fall apart or deteriorate at a rate that we cannot control. And as we continue in our dream giver parable, uh, that's kind of where Ordinary finds himself. Over the last few weeks, we met a gentleman whose name was Ordinary, and he lives in a land called Familiar. He was a nobody, just like every other nobody that lived in Familiar, until one day he woke to a dream and a feather. And, and he had been given this big dream by the dream giver, and he realized that he was actually not created to be a nobody, but to be a somebody. And so Ordinary decided that he was going to leave the land of familiar and go across his comfort zone into something that he didn't know. And as he did, he faced some obstacles, some internal and some external, as he faced a number of border bullies who were people that were close to him. He was surprised to find out that people that were not necessarily cheering him on were some of the people that were closest to him. And ultimately, he had to decide who he was going to please, whether he was going to please those bullies or if he was going to please the dream giver. And that's where we pick it up today, the parable of the dream giver. It says, that night, ordinary slept well and woke up humming his unfamiliar tune. The fears of leaving his comfort zone were gone now. His border bullies were behind him. Ordinary walked and walked. Every time he got hungry, he opened up his suitcase and ate. Every time he got thirsty, he opened it up and drank. And every time he thought about his dream, he decided to keep going. Time passed. Ordinary skin burned, his feet blistered, his bones ached. One day blurred into another, and then one day he got hungry and opened his suitcase and didn't find anything to eat. That was the day that Ordinary began to worry. He called out to the dream giver for food, but he got no answer. Two days later, he ran out of water, and he called out to the dream giver again. And again, he heard nothing. Fortunately, that was also the day Ordinary managed to find a trickle of water coming from a rock. At least now, he was only starving. But if he was smart enough to find water, maybe he could find food, too. Sure enough, it wasn't too long before he spotted a strange bush with some strange desert fruit hanging from its branches. Ordinary tried one. It didn't taste sweet, but it didn't taste bitter either, so he ate his fill. Still, the dream giver was nowhere in sight. Why had he ever trusted the dream giver to guide him in the first place? The day came when Ordinary finally gave up. He sat on his suitcase and refused to move until the dream giver showed up with a plan. But the dream giver didn't show up that day or the next. Hot tears coursed down his dirty cheeks. 
You're not a dream giver, he shouted at the sky. You're a dream taker. I trusted you. You promised to be with me and help me, and you didn't. That night, he slept the sleep of a dreamless dreamer. The next morning, Ordinary heard something. Startled, he peered up to see a shimmering somebody sitting in the branches of the tree. Who are you, he asked as she climbed down to the ground. My name is Faith, she said. The dream giver sent me to help you. But it's too late, cried Ordinary. My dream is dead. When I needed the dream giver most, he was nowhere in sight. What do you need that you haven't received, asked Faith. Well, if it weren't for the few springs of water that I found, answered Ordinary, I'd be dead of thirst by now. Yes, and, she asked. Well, if it weren't for the fruit I found, I'd be a walking skeleton, he replied. Wait, I am a walking skeleton. I could die of starvation any minute. Oh, my, murmured Faith. And, well, hopped Ordinary, a little guidance would have been nice. Ever since I came here, it's been one delay after another. I've been wandering in circles since I don't know when. What a waste. I see, said Faith, nodding. So what will you do now? Just tell me how to get back to familiar, he said. I'm sorry, she said. I can't help you with that. That figure, said Ordinary. The dream giver sends me a helper who can't even help. You might be right, she said, but that's for you to decide. Then Faith walked away in a direction Ordinary felt sure was the wrong way. It wasn't long before Ordinary began to have second thoughts. What if he was wrong? He wished he hadn't been so rude to that somebody named Faith, and he began to miss her. He realized that while they were talking, he had felt hope for the first time in a very long time. Ordinary jumped to his feet and scanned the horizon. Faith, he cried, but she was nowhere in sight. Faith, he cried again, but there was no reply. Then Ordinary had an idea. He, <coughs> excuse me, he climbed the scraggly tree to the top. From there, he could see Faith in the distance. As quickly as he could, he climbed down and set off in the same direction. Later that same day, Ordinary was eating some fruit beside a trickle of water when he saw his journey through the wasteland in a whole new way. Food enough for the day, water when he needed to drink, a path to follow that led to faith. How could he have been so blind? Even when the dream giver had been nowhere in sight, he had always been near. That was the day, too, that Ordinary looked at his empty suitcase and decided it was time to leave it behind. He made a makeshift knapsack, took his dream journal and feather and ink, and walked on. After that, whenever Ordinary came to a scraggly tree, he'd climb it to look for Faith, and when he had her in his sight, he marked the direction and started walking again. His trip through the wasteland had not been a waste. Now he was prepared for what lie ahead, no matter how hard. As Ordinary pressed on through the desert, his dream beat brightly in his chest, and the more the sun blazed, the more Ordinary believed that he could find the land of promise, no matter how long it took, if only he took the way of faith. The next chapter in our story, we find Ordinary in his wasteland, and as we pick up a parallel story in the book of Genesis. You can turn to Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. That's where we'll be. I wonder if we don't find Joseph in similar circumstances. 
you know, in ourselves at times. We often follow many dreams of our own, possibly dreams about education or a career, about having family. Uh, and sometimes those are just our dreams. There's nothing wrong with chasing after that, but we're actually talking about something different. What we're talking about is following after the dreams that God has placed, the things that maybe he has for your life or maybe just for your year, things that he has been preparing you for throughout your whole story that he is putting in front of you. And we can find ourselves in similar spots of despair, just like Joseph so in, jo in Genesis chapter 37, we find Joseph who had had a dream also. He had had a dream of, of 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down to him, which was talking about his brothers who would one day bow to him. Another dream uh, that talked about the sun and the moon and 11 stars, which talked about his mother and father and brothers bowing to him. But in the meantime, uh, his brothers began to hate him. He was hated because he was most loved by his father. In fact, they plotted to kill him, but instead sold him off into slavery. But amidst all of this, Joseph was able to keep his focus on the one who had given him his dream. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 39, verse 1. It says this, that, that now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And as he was in the house of his Egyptian master, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake." The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything except for the food that he ate. So Joseph, as he is able to keep his focus on the one that gave him the dream, God has given him favor in everything that he does and everything that he touches. Not for Joseph's glory, but as you can see even from here that, that Potiphar saw that it was because of God at work in Joseph's life that he had favor and everything he touched went well. Then it takes a weird little twist. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, here comes trouble. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in this house. He has put, me, uh, put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. 
And so here we have this circumstance where Potiphar's wife is coming after Joseph. And Joseph is saying, but your husband is taking care of me. Even though I'm a slave, I have freedoms here. In fact, I have authority here. I have things under my control and under my charge. And, and when she continues to come after me, he says, how could I do this evil thing against my master who's been so nice to me? Except that's not what he says. He says, how could I do this wickedness and sin against God? He still knew where uh, his perspective of who was in charge of his life and who he was following. And so he chooses otherwise. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had fled and left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought amongst us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out at the loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought amongst us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard uh, these words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me? His anger was kindled. Boy, I want to talk about a, a wasteland. Joseph probably thinking to himself, I can't catch a break here. I mean, I'm just trying to do the right thing and things keep coming against me. I tell my brothers about a dream that I have and they hate me. They come after me and throw me in a pit. And then finally, when things are looking up, this thing happens. And now he finds himself in prison. As Potiphar found out about it, he, he comes and he has him thrown into shackles. And I can only imagine that first night in the cold, dark, dank prison where Joseph is saying, did I even have a dream? I mean, did, did that even happen? Did I, did I understand that correctly? Was that something prophesying over my life? Or was it the Mexican food I'd had the night before? Like, what was it? I, I've kind of built my life on this. I mean, what's going on? The dream giver seems to be nowhere close to me. Where is this God that gave me this dream? You know, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a ruler or a somebody. Maybe I should have just been happy as the younger son of a shepherd. Maybe I should have just quietly been the younger brother and not tried to take a different station in life. I wonder if we ever feel like that. You know, when you're just trying to do what you feel like God is calling you to, only to have the world fall apart. Maybe it was a time that you accepted Jesus to begin with, especially if you did so as an adult. And, and, and maybe you thought life was going to get easier. You know, if I'm following God, the creator of the universe, isn't he going to line life up for me? Only to find out that that wasn't the case. Maybe you had a different perspective, that life was going to be difficult, but you never thought you'd lose family members over you becoming a Christian. Did that happen? I mean, when you are living your life for God and just trying to follow him and other people's lives don't resonate with that and they separate themselves from you. 
Maybe you had a close friend that you decided to share your faith with. You decide to talk to about Jesus and the difference that he has made in your life only to not have them not just not accept your message, but to shun you and to separate from you. Maybe it isn't something that's in your past. Maybe it's something that you're living in right now. And I wonder if we, in those moments of time when we get frustrated and things don't feel the way that they used to feel and things maybe don't look as clear and concise of a roadmap as we thought we were on, but they're taking a different detour that we would have never chosen for ourselves, how we question God. I'll never forget a, a young man who's college age who came and was connected here. I think he accepted Christ the year before with Campus Life over in Eugene, and, and he couldn't believe all the amazing things Jesus was doing in his life. And I'd find him down on Bay Street reading his Bible on the roadside or at coffee roasters, and, and he wanted to get involved, so he started helping out with some of our teen stuff and, and with our children's ministry, and, and uh, he was always excited about the way God was answering his prayers and leading him to talk to other people, and one day he came and sat in my office. He said, Aaron, something's wrong. It's like, what, what do you mean something's wrong? He's like, it, it's just not the same as it was. I was like, what do you talk about? I don't know. Something's different, like with me and God. Like God's not as close as he used to be to me. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, is, is there something else going on in your life? You know, do you have something like that you're holding back from God, some part of your life that, that you're living the way you want to live and not the way he wants? He's like, no, it's not that. Well, are you spending time in his word and are you taking time to pray? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing all that. Well, are you connected to other believers and, you know, in a community group? That kind of, Yeah, I'm doing all that. But it just doesn't feel the same. Like when I read the Bible, it's not as exciting as it used to be. When I sing the songs, I don't get goosebumps like I used to. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, you're young. You know, you're still going through this. It's not always about the feeling. It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to feel like goosebumps during songs and exciting when you read the Bible. But that doesn't mean that God's not with you. And he's like, no, you don't get it. You don't understand. I was like, I've kind of been doing this a couple of years. You know, I get it. And as I've talked with other believers who have been through this longer, now sometimes it is us. Maybe we're not doing the things that we used to do. Maybe we're not uh, uh, close to God. Maybe we're holding stuff back and that's separating us because we are removing ourselves from God. But sometimes maybe it just doesn't feel the same and he just couldn't get over that. You ever, you ever remember uh, Jack Handy's Deep Thoughts from Saturday Night Live, anybody? Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Yeah? Just a couple of you. So, I mean, during uh, Saturday Night Live, they'd have these short little things, and, and uh, there'd be handwriting on a piece of paper, and Jack Handy would have these deep thoughts for us. And so here's one of them that I remember. He said this, One thing kids like is to be tricked. For instance, I was taking my little nephew to Disneyland, but instead I drove him to an old burnt-down warehouse. Oh, no, I said, Disneyland has burnt down. And he cried and cried, but I think deep down, he thought it was a pretty good joke. <laughs> it's horrible, right? But don't you ever feel that way? I mean, like you have all these expectations of great things and how amazing it's going to be only to have things unravel around you and it's not what you expected. 
And, and, and I love the part, I deep, deep down, he thought it was a great joke, but we don't think it's a joke when our world is falling apart, when God seems so distant and we're just in this all on our own going, God, where are you? But the truth is that that's just our perceived reality. That's just our vantage point from where we are standing. And maybe we're looking at a burnt down barn, but that doesn't mean that Disneyland is still not there. I think of things that we need to remember in these times, that we go through these things, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them, but there, here are the three real quick. Things to remember when we're in our own wastelands are, are that we are not alone, that, that you are not a nobody, and that this is not the dream. You know, Ordinary faced a similar moment. He put his suitcase down, and he sat on it, and he said, I'm not moving from this spot until the dream giver comes and gives me a plan. Wouldn't it be nice? I can't tell you how many times I pray, God, can you just tell me what to do next? God, just tell me what to do. I have this decision to make to go this way or to go this way. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. If you would just make it easy, and then I'd listen. And it's crickets. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Why have you left me here all by myself to deal with this and to decide on my own? Well, as I look at these things, we have the things that we think and then the things that faith says in response. The first is that you are not alone. You see, faith says this, the dream giver is real and is still with you even though it doesn't seem that way. When these are things that we have to remember. Even though it doesn't seem that way, the dream giver is still with us. I think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And God had brought the plagues upon Pharaoh, and finally he releases them. And as they travel, they follow this pillar of smoke by the day and a pillar of fire by night, and God's presence is with them, and they follow him out. He gives them the Ten Commandments, and, and all these things take place. And he leads them to a land that he had promised them. Hundreds and hundreds of years before from their forefathers and their forefathers before them that I will give you a land that you will possess and they're on the border. They send 12 guys in and as they come out, most of them are fearful. No, you don't understand. There are giants in that land. We look like grasshoppers in comparison to them and they have these negative things to say and there's a couple that are like, no, it's amazing. It's everything that God ever promised us. There are giant things of grapes that takes multiple people to carry and they want to follow, but the people are fearful. It's because maybe they forgot God's presence in their lives. And they don't remember the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And they think, if we're to go in there, we'll be decimated. And so instead, they spend 40 years walking in the desert. The second thing is that you're not a nobody. Faith says that everything you thought to be true is still true. Everything that God has said to you, all his promises to you, even when it doesn't feel like it, those things are still true. Remember one morning in middle school, I woke up every morning, I'd go to my window and I would open up the blinds and I would open up the window a little bit, look outside, see how cold it was, like, can I wear shorts today? The answer was always yes. It's warm enough. To, it's, it's 10 below zero. Okay, that's great. It's that shorts weather. And so, but I would go and check the weather and see what was going on. And one morning I woke up and I walked over to my window and I went to lift the blinds up and my arms wouldn't move. 
Now, I sleep kind of weird. You can ask my wife about this. I sleep with them like kind of behind me and under me and all this. They were totally asleep. I couldn't feel them at all, and I couldn't move my arms, and I'm freaking out, you know, like I'm 13, and I was like, does this thing happen when you get old, like your limbs just stop working? And uh, I don't, maybe it does. I don't know. And so I couldn't move them, and I couldn't move them, and I'm freaking out, and then a little bit, and then I could move them an inch and then two inches, and I start getting the feeling back, and they start, and, and then my heart starts beating normal again, and I open up the blinds like normal. But I remember that to this day. It was terrifying in that moment. And, and I wonder if that's not how we are sometimes, that, that things don't feel the way that they used to feel, and the way things were with God don't seem the way that they used to. You know in your brain that things should be all right. I knew in my mind that my arms were still there, but I couldn't feel them. I couldn't get them to move. I couldn't get them to do the things I wanted them to do. So I kept moving. I kept doing the same things. And I think faith at times says, stick to it. Just keep doing the things that you know God smiles on. Keep spending time in your Bible. Stay connected to a group of believers. Be willing to be accountable to other people. Keep coming to God in prayer. Keep doing those things and the feelings will return. It's about our faithfulness to what God has called us to do, knowing that God is always going to be faithful to the things that he said that he would do. James 4, 7 and 8 say, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, the evil one wants to come in and steal your joy and your hope. He wants to take away the feeling. He wants to plant doubts in your mind. In fact, he'll send people in your lives, uh, especially to remind you of the person that you used to be. You ever have that happen? Like, you're not worth it. You don't, there's no way God can use you in that way. Don't you remember how you used to act? The way that you treated this person? He throws your past up in your face, but it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That third thing to remember is that this is not the dream. When you're in your wasteland, when you're in those dry times, this is not what God has intended for you ultimately. But faith says that your dream is still waiting. Don't stop. You're almost to somebody. The Israelites, again, spent 40 years in the desert, wandering around in a wasteland. But do you see what happened in the desert? They learned to follow God. God's presence would come to a spot and it would stop and in that spot, they would set up the tabernacle, which was a place for God's presence. And they would set up their camp of more than a million people around it. And they would stay in that spot till God's presence lifted up again and started to be on the move. And in that time, they would follow God. They learned how to follow him in their lives. The second thing is they learned how to trust God. Manna in the morning, God providing for their needs. And, and, and so there would be just enough for the day. And the day before the Sabbath, they would collect a double portion and it would be enough for that day as well as the Sabbath. And they learned to trust that God's going to take care of us. God's going to be there for us. 40 years of trusting daily for God to provide for them. And the third thing is they learned to rely on each other. When they came out of Egypt, they were a people, but when they walked into the promised land, they were a nation. 
They learn how to live with one another under God as their king. They learn how to, to, to get along with one another, and God gave them ways of living and to become a nation, knowing that they would have to face enemy after enemy. And they learn so many things in that wasteland in the desert to prepare them to walk into the promised land. So Joseph has a choice here. He's now in prison. He's now in shackles, and he has to choose. Is he going to give up on his dream more importantly, is he going to give up on the one who gave him his dream, or will he persist? We see in verse 20, Genesis 37, and Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners and all who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it per, uh, succeed. So here we have Joseph put in charge of not only the prisoners but the other guards. The people, every person that was in the prison, as he trusted God, God continued to move him forward in the next step. And sometimes God isn't going to give us the answer of what to do, but he's going to help us to make just the very next decision in following him. It says that Ordinary picked up his pen and wrote in his dream journal, after crossing the waters, I thought my dream was just around the corner. Instead, I found a wasteland. Now I see that the wasteland was not a waste. It has taught me to trust a dream giver, even when he's nowhere in sight. I think I am stronger now. I'm following faith, and every day I feel more prepared for what lies ahead. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that... Uh, our faithfulness to you doesn't determine your faithfulness to us, God, that, that we can trust in you and your promises, God, that you will be there for us, that, that you have said in, in Scripture that, that you will be with us to the very end of the age. Help us to trust those promises when we can't see you, when we can't feel you, when we can't sense your presence. Allow us to trust in, in your word. God, allow us to rely on one another that we can be an encouragement to one another, that we can learn from each other's lessons. Lord, I thank you again for being at work in our lives. I thank you for this time for us to be here together worshiping. In Jesus' name, amen.